0: You're listening to a Soulfire Productions podcast. Welcome to Wellness Realness, where we get very real about all things health and wellness: physical, mental, financial, and spiritual. I'm your host, Christina Rice, a nutritional therapy practitioner and energy healer, turned holistic business coach for ambitious entrepreneurs, and I'm here to help you uplevel every aspect of your life. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You can find an endless amount of content from me and join my online membership at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content and my most unfiltered self, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to Wellness Realness Crew on Instagram and request to follow my super secret account. You can also join the Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe Facebook group to hang out with other listeners in the crew. Get ready for some wellness realness. On today's episode, I am so excited to be chatting with one of the country's leading functional medicine experts, Dr. Will Cole. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Dr. Cole. He is a health expert for Mind Body Green and Goop. And he is the author of the book, The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian. In his book, Ketotarian, Dr. Cole explains how to properly formulate a ketogenic diet that is plant-based. And in his book, The Inflammation Spectrum, he explores all the way that inflammation can manifest in the body, the different systems it can affect, and how you can discover your individual food triggers to overcome chronic inflammation. Dr. Cole has a lot of experience with this in his practice. He has a telemedicine practice and he specializes in the underlying factors of chronic disease and working with thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. I love that Dr. Cole is very non-dogmatic. He sees a time and place for all different types of nutritional interventions and is really focused on the root cause and also pays a lot of attention to the emotional side of healing and really honors where his patients are at on that emotional, spiritual level and not just throwing supplements their way, really looking at them as a whole person and getting to that root cause, very bio-individual approach. I have been especially excited that he has been focusing so much on inflammation, because I think this is something that people kind of throw out there. They say, oh, I'm inflamed. But a lot of people don't really know what that means. And a lot of people don't really realize how many ways that can show up in our bodies. I have seen inflammation manifest in my body in so many different ways over the last however many years dealing with my own health issues and with my clients seen the same. And inflammation, I think, is something that a lot more people should be educated on, especially if you are a practitioner, learning the many different ways that inflammation can manifest and what that means is so, so important. So I am very excited to dive deep into all things inflammation in this episode, and I can't wait to hear what you think. If you want to connect further with Dr. Cole, you can find him at drwillcole.com. You can also take his inflammation quiz. It's free on his website to find out where you are on the inflammation spectrum. So that's really great. I took it. And then you can also find him on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. So if you have had inflammation on your mind or in your body, this will definitely be the episode for you. So enjoy this conversation with Dr. Cole. Wearing blue light blocking glasses is one of the easiest biohacks you can introduce into your life to support your sleep, to balance out your hormones, to improve your mood, and to improve your energy levels. And that's why I really want to share with you my favorite blue blocker company, Blue Blocks. I've tried so many different types of blue light blocking glasses over the years, and these by far give the best results because they are 100% backed by the science. Orange lenses are only blocking a part of the blue and green light spectrum that disrupts our circadian rhythm, which in turn causes health issues. But Blue Blocks has red lenses, their sleep plus red lens that are tested to make sure they're blocking that full spectrum so that you get better sleep, deeper sleep, less anxiety and ultimate relaxation. I like to wear my sleep plus red lens with the Parker frame as soon as the sun goes down. And then during the day, I wear the blue light clear lens, which is a blue light filtering lens for the daytime, best for people who work in more natural lighting. But if you work in more artificial lighting or you struggle with seasonal depression, I would recommend the Summer Glow Yellow Lens. These daytime glasses will help reduce migraines, headaches, macular degeneration, and digital eye strain, which is super important if you're on a screen all day. Like me, I notice that my head hurts. I feel foggy. I get moody. I'm just really cranky if I don't wear my blue light clear lens. They have about 20 different frames to pick from, so you'll definitely find something that you like. I get compliments on these glasses all the time, and you can also send in your own frames or use their custom-made prescription service if you'd like something a little bit more customized. And if you really want to amp up your sleep game, check out their Remedy Sleep Mask, which is a 100% light-blocking sleep mask. This has changed the game for me. And for every pair of glasses they sell, Blue Blocks will donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who gifts them to someone in need. So if you want to get your hands on the best blue light blockers on the market, just go to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com, and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot and my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S will get you 15% off. When you use these every day, trust me, you'll notice a huge improvement in your productivity, your mood, your energy, and of course, your sleep. Dr. Cole, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I have been so excited to chat with you and talk all things inflammation. I know a lot of my audience is really interested to learn more about the root cause of inflammation and you are the expert, but for anyone who is not familiar with you and your work, can you just share with my listeners a little bit about you and what you do?
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. My heart, my passion, my focus uh, is consulting patients around the world via a webcam consultation. Uh, Primarily, we run a telehealth or telemedicine clinic, uh, giving them a functional medicine perspective on their health. Uh, So I am a functional medicine practitioner, uh, and that's my day job. And then everything that I do other than consulting patients throughout the week is really an extension of that. So like, I'll write books about that my experience of consulting patients. And that's where Ketotarian, my first book, was really born out of me seeing how we could lower inflammation and modulate the immune system in a positive way using a clean, mostly plant-based ketogenic diet. And that's what I talk about in Ketotarian. And then my new book, The Inflammation Spectrum, is also an extension of me consulting patients online and and seeing how we can find other ways to lower inflammation and how educate people on how inflammation exists on a spectrum. You don't have to have an overt, obvious uh, autoimmune condition to have some sort of sort of inflammation, and it can explain why somebody feels the way that they do. So they can do something about it. They can address it by the root cause. So that's really what I do. Uh, I, I co-host a podcast as well called Goop Fellas, which is Goop's first spinoff podcast. Gwyneth uh, and Elise host the main one. And then Seamus Mullen, who's an amazing chef and good friend of mine, him and I host Goop Fellows. So I do that as well. And even on that podcast, I'm bringing a functional medicine perspective on that as well. So it really, um, I live and breathe this stuff and I I love talking about it. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, what got you interested in in functional medicine to begin with?
1: Well... My interest in in health and wellness began when I was a little kid. I was a strange little kid. <laughs> I, I was like very early on. I my parents were the. I mean, and I'm from Western Pennsylvania, which is by no means like the epicenter of wellness. It's not Abbot Kinney. It's not you know <laughs> the lower East Side or you know Soho. It is uh, really lots of fast food chains and not very much uh, in the way of organic stuff. It's better than it ever was, but we're talking about the eighties and nineties and in western Pennsylvania. So I was go the kid going to the co-op or the health food store, or the local like independent health food store, buying the strange tonics, adaptogenic tonics and sprouted this and organic that and raw this and all that stuff, uh as a teenager. And um and then that evolved to me wanting to be formally trained in that, not just doing it as a hobby or something I was fascinated with and curious about. But I went to a school that trained me formally in this. So I went to Southern California University of Health Sciences in Lo- outside of Los Angeles. Uh, and it's an integrative healthcare school. So there's MDs and DCs and nurse practitioners and acupuncturists, oriental medicine doctors all there learning their different crafts and their different uh, trainings. And uh, I heard uh, of a guy who'd gone to my school. He was older than I was. His name was Datis Karazian, and in the functional medicine space, Datis Karazian still like the one of the forefront leaders in our world. Uh, And he he really inspired me to look at this specifically instead of me being an integrative healthcare generally. I wanted to really target my efforts and immerse myself in the space of functional medicine. Uh, So that's really where it came to be. Uh, I kind of started out as like general, very interested in health and wellness, and then like slowly targeting into uh, functional medicine. And you know, when something just clicks and you're meant to do something, it really just synergistically, uh, there's a synergy to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I haven't really looked back since. So I graduated from school. Um, I started writing about this Base of functional medicine started talking about it online, and we have been consulting patients online for the past eleven years. Before telehealth was even a thing, we were talking to people because of I won't shut up about this (laughs) about what (laughs) this can do for people. Uh, So yeah, I've just stayed in my lane, stayed focused on what I love, and it's really a a sacred responsibility, a really honor for me to be a part of people's health journey. I don't take that lightly, and we take uh, as a team here at the Functional Medicine Center, we start our morning off like going over the case reviews. I can really be caught up to date on everything. And we're also holding space for them and having sort of a present moment awareness and prayer moment for them to just take that seriously and realize these are people that are going through really heavy things. And we need to remember that we're coming in at this part of their journey. And we want to be there for them in the way that they need and um, hold space for them. And I don't mean that in a flippant, you know, new agey way. It really is something that you need to anger these people and, and, and that are really flailing in many ways uh, in a flare potentially or disillusioned as to what's working for them. And they've tried all this stuff and they're still not feeling well. So it's really um, important for me to hold both the science aspect of functional medicine and the art. And that duality of functional medicine is paramount to maintain the balance of to really be, be a good steward to the time and, and, the, and the time that you have with them. Uh, so that's that's in a nutshell what I do.
0: Yeah, well, I love that you bring that up. I think, I mean, there are a lot of practitioners who listen to this show as well. And I think it's a really important point. Like it can be so easy to get caught up in, in the clients or the patients and just go, go, go and like taking mm-hmm. that time to hold that space. And um, it, it's just so important. And I think that's kind of game changing.
1: Yeah, it's it's important. Yeah, and there's a lot of really smart, brilliant, academic, functional medicine doctors or conventional doctors out there that do really cool things, and it's hard for us with when we have a busy schedule to forget that we have to hold the art of what we do too and not just always be stuck in our brains and thinking about the next thing or be so stuck in our ways that, you know, we're inflexible to yeah. hearing the space between the words and really just hearing somebody and listening to them and kind of get our god complex and egos out of the way and realize this is a person and you're a person and we're on this journey together and really respect that and give it the gravity and the sacred responsibility that I think it deserves.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that gives clients or patients just such better results because there's a there's a difference when you're I mean I've been on the client side of that and when you feel like someone's just telling you what to do and trying to be an authority, I'm not going to get as good of results as if I feel like it's collaborative.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, people want to be led, It's but it's a balancing act, right? They want mm-hmm. certainty. They want direction. They want confidence, but they also want humility and to be heard and validated. So it's, it's definitely, uh, you have to be there for that person in the way that they're looking for. And some people, want more leading and some people want more listening and you have to really be in tune to what that person needs so you can be there for them in the most in the most impactful way for them.
0: Absolutely. Well, and speaking of being flexible, I'm really curious how your your nutrition philosophies have changed throughout the years and like the way the way you help people heal at a root level.
1: Yeah, it's definitely evolved. It's it's evolved personally, but it's mm-hmm. also evolved professionally as well. So I, I I never have been super like dietarily dogmatic in the sense that I was always open minded to different ways depending on what works for that patient. So that really hasn't changed. I think just the scientific literature has a chain has changed. We understand more than now than ever. There's different. There's more tools in our toolbox because we live in a time where it's this two-side coin. We, the, the epidemic rise of autoimmune conditions and chronic inflammatory problems are growing by leaps and bounds, but the trickle-down effect of that is that science and, and clinical nutrition and clinical application has grown to the place of understanding these things now more than ever, whereas like a couple of decades ago or certainly generation or so ago, it was like, okay, you had this autoimmune condition, if it was diagnosed, it was like, we'll just take the steroids, see you later. There's nothing you can do about it. But now, okay, the conversation has been open to a lot more than that, to different tools that people have, different modalities, different options that people have to really have agency over their health and their bodies once more, and to start feeling great again. Um, So to me, that's kind of what evolved to it. But I've never been So myopic and saying, "Well, this is the magic diet that's going to solve all your problems." Because if I did that, I'd be proven wrong all day long consulting patients. And because that's really been my main focus for the past eleven years, I've never been so isolated in the blogosphere world or the podcast world, pontificating my opinions and getting in Twitter wars with people and trolling (laughs) people. I don't really have time for that, nor do I care to. So, my really my ten hour a day days throughout the week are spent talking to people and seeing the variability and what works and what doesn't. And I've never been a place to have been so you know, inflexible saying this is the only one way. So, for example, like I wrote Ketotarian, which is a mostly plant-based diet. And I talk about my own journey, personally, for me, of how it being like a whole foods vegan for years and then transitioning, evolving to what I called Ketotarian, which is a mostly plant-based, ketogenic, basically high healthy fat, moderate clean protein low carbohydrates, lots of green vegetables, lots of vegetables, way of eating, right? And that has many cool scientific applications to that. It's, it's a way to gain metabolic flexibility, become a fat burner, increases mitochondrial biogenesis, basically improving mitochondrial function. So that helps with a cellular energy standpoint, lowering inflammation in the body, improving a lot of different things, increasing antioxidant pathways. I could go on and on. There's a lot of cool science behind a ketotarian or a mostly plant-based ketogenic diet way of going, okay? But even in that book, like anybody that reads that book is gonna know, okay, this guy is not saying this is the magic cure-all. And when I go through that book, I explain how to personalize that for the individual. So this is a overall umbrella way of eating, but you have to find your sweet spot. So we talk about carb cycling. We talk about doing it seasonally. We talk about moderating your carbs after you've gained metabolic flexibility. We talk about lots of different ways to personalize that way of eating. It wasn't this one way of doing things. Um, And then same with the inflammation spectrum. In a broader way, the inflammation spectrum is entirely about finding what your body loves. It is not any sort of food dogma. It is entirely... To find out what your body loves and hates, to find food peace, to find find peace itself. we talk about all these non food things too, like stress and toxins and screen time and social media addiction, all these other things that can drive inflammation as well. So I've nothing in my career has been so uh, you know myopic where it is like uh, this is the one way of doing things. But and that served me well because I kind of saw early on that that couldn't be the way that it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that people can be very tribal and get stuck in a box. And like, that's their thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when that thing turns out not to be a, a utopia for everybody, it, be, it can be kind of obsolete at, at a certain point. I, I like keeping my mind open to whatever works for that person. Let's find out that. And what, what I mean But works for them, I mean, does it work for them in a clinical level? Like, does it improve their labs? But do they enjoy it as well? You know, how do we make this realistic and practical and enjoyable, not just clinically relevant so that that's really um my thoughts on that.
0: yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. I think a lot of people do like to put themselves in a box. I mean, it's easier to market too <laughs> yeah. um, but then it is really limiting, right? because the same thing is not going to work for everyone. Many of you might know that one of my twenty twenty goals was consuming collagen consistently this year because. I feel my best when I do. I notice that my hair grows faster. It's stronger. My nails are much stronger and they also grow faster. My skin looks better. My recovery is better from workouts. My joints aren't as achy. Sometimes I get that because of my autoimmune symptoms. And I see huge improvements with my gut health. Collagen is incredible for gut health and digestion. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you guys about my current favorite collagen, which is from Further Food. This is a company that I first found a few years ago when I was living in L.A. I actually first tried their collagen when I was in college and fell in love with it. Further Food is a mission-driven, women-owned supplement company that creates the highest quality real food-based supplements out there to further your health naturally. You know I love to support women-owned businesses, and Further Food really aligns with my values. They're all about modern nutrition rooted in ancient remedies they create products that work for everybody. They're free from gluten, soy, sugar, dairy, their keto and paleo. And they are setting a new standard for purity. There are so many collagen supplements out there on the market, but the quality of further food just sets them apart. They source their collagen peptides from grass-fed, pasture-raised cattle that feed on organic grass on their farms in South America. And their marine collagen peptides are sourced from the skin of wild-caught North Atlantic codfish off the coast of Canada. Everything is sustainably sourced tasteless and dissolves really easily. Their chocolate and vanilla collagen peptides are the only flavored collagen peptides on the market that don't have any additives or fillers and they are so delicious. Their chocolate collagen has reishi mushroom for its immune boosting benefits and their vanilla collagen has chamella mushroom, which is great for supporting the hydration of your skin. So whether you want flavorless collagen peptides or chocolate or vanilla flavored, side note, their chocolate can be mixed with water or nut milk in it makes a delicious hot chocolate drink pro tip they have an option for you and you can also head to their website and find some of their other amazing superfood supplements and products like their matcha their turmeric tonic and their ashwagandha so if you want to get your hands on the highest quality collagen out there on the market just go to furtherfood.com and you can use my code wellness for 10 percent off again that's furtherfood.com f-u-r-t-h-e-r-f-o-o-d.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 10% off any products on their website. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the recent carnivore movement.
1: Carnivore diet is something that I use clinically. And I uh, have great friends in the space. Paul Saladino is an amazing, brilliant human being. He's a good guy. And I've been on his podcast and we've talked about these things. And I think he thought I was gonna come on his podcast and we were gonna get like the ketotarian guy was gonna get in a big (laughs) debate with the carnivore guy, and it just didn't happen. And at the end of it, we're like, let's go on tour together and be an inflammologists. and we made up this word about how we're going to educate people about inflammation. That's just my vibe. I'm not going to get and be tribal with somebody because these, again, with when your main focus is consulting patients and not pontificating on social media, you can realize there's a place for things, and context matters, and it's not one or the other. It's mutually, It's all kind of has its place. Uh, so uh, carnivore diet, I use that for people that are in a active flare that are, uh, having food reactivities to just about everything. Uh, and we're using it as an ultimate elimination diet for a time. This is not end all be all. This is not, here's the rest of your life. Uh, unless someone really, really wants it and let's find out a way If it makes sense, where we could, you know, do maybe carnivore adjacent, where being mostly carnivore, I'm not against that. If somebody likes that and their labs look great and they feel good, I'm up for it. But you know, exclusively a carnivore diet, if it's well formulated, if it's nutrient dense, if you're eating really good quality meats, there's a place for that for a time to downregulate that inflammatory cascade, to start to unwind that immunoreactivity, to start allowing the gut to calm down. And then you can slowly lean into foods. So you start start with typically like soft cooked, pureed vegetables and bone broth soups and stews, lower like FODMAPs, like really cooked, pureed vegetables, and then lean into it from there. Because if you stick to a carnivore diet long, uh, especially if it's not clinically, or I should say it's not appropriate. So if someone's just doing it because they read about it online and they do it for a long time, what could happen is they could end up with more food sensitivities and more food reactivities because the microbiome shifted to the point where they bring foods back in and they're having problems with foods they never had before because their gut microbiome shifted. Not to say that's irreversible. It's reversible. You just have to lean into it slower and kind of adjust your gut to digesting foods again uh, that hasn't it digested. So I don't want to over-dramatize it. You can come out of that, but it's okay. Is this even needed long-term? So I I don't, I'm not against it. I I don't think it's bad. I don't think saturated fat is bad. I don't think that eating meat is bad. I just think that there are certain people that can't have lots of it. There are certain people that don't, it's not going to be sustainable long-term for most people. Uh, And there are, there are genetic variants. And I talked about this in Paul Teladina's podcast. There are genetic variants that they don't metabolize saturated fat as well. uh, But we can't be over simplistic and say it's just about those gene variants either too. You have to look at insulin resistance and other things too. But yes, there are people that should limit saturated fat. But it's important to note too that red meat or you know any meat like, like that, that that people would be having on a carnivore diet isn't exclusively saturated fat either. There's lots of other things like omega fats that are in there too. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a nuanced conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm probably, you know... Talking about it too much, but it, it's no, I think I, it's yeah.
0: interesting. I mean, that's how I eat, yeah. Like, I mean, I've tried every diet under the sun. Um, I've done the potato diet, like, I've done AIP, <laughs> low FODMAP. I, um, no, I'm serious, like, I have. Um, yeah. I had only potatoes, you know, I've done STD, keto, everything. Um, and for me, I have a really sensitive body, multiple autoimmune diseases, and yeah. that's been the only thing that's given me relief,
1: yeah. No, I think that that's. That's the person that should be leaning into that without a doubt. And then the goal is to long-term work on healing the gut to be able to bring foods back in. But I know what it's like to be in a place where you can't bring foods back in for a while. And it can take months and months and months and months to get to the place of immune stability before you can bring in the simplest of things for some people. So I know how, um, how it can be as much as I can know, you know, without going through it myself, but I have a family history of autoimmune conditions as well. So I see both on a personal and professional level what this can look like for people.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think something that I've thought about, you know, since trying this out and it working is like with vegetables, with vegetables, like even when they're organic, it's like there's still toxins on them or like the Mm -hmm. copper levels on like on vegetables. I was just talking to, someone from Dr. Pompa's team about this. Um, and for people who are super reactive, like it almost feels like, and this is what's hard in the nutrition space. It almost feels like no, no food is safe because you have someone in every corner saying there's something bad about every single food, mm-hmm. you know, and it becomes very overwhelming for people. Yeah.
1: yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a problem. I think it's, we are unintentionally, the, uh, the unintended consequences of all of this amazing content and information and trickle down effect from the scientific literature and just anecdotal experiential stuff that people are talking about online, it's unintentionally feeding orthorexia Mm -hmm. and disordered eating and stress and anxiety and shame around just healthy foods like vegetables are causing like uh, (laughs) panic attacks (laughs) in people. And I feel like there's a lack of context. And I think, you know, yes, there's a place like if you are the right person to be doing a restrictive diet, let's just call it like a, a tighter diet, uh, like a carnivore diet for a time, the person that should be doing that is born out of necessity. Like they physiologically are having problems from this. But then you take somebody that doesn't have like the vessel to hear it, or even take that information. Uh, and then they are hearing this, all this conflicting information, and it's are stressing and have anxiety and shame around eating foods. Uh, that's problematic because the headspace that you're eating the food also determines the outcome as well. Meaning Mm -hmm. if you have stress and trauma and, and like anxiety about a certain food, that's going to produce a different outcome than if you're eating in peace and great with the grace and lightness around that meal.
0: So I think that's
1: also, yeah, it's like, we have to look at the, not just the body and the macros and the lectins and the fiber and all of these things. We have to look at like what are you feeding your head and your heart? What are you feeding your spirit around this whole meal as well?
0: Mm-hmm. So, how do you approach a situation if you if you have a patient who ne- like really should be on a therapeutic diet, like in some type of elimination diet for their health? Maybe they have a ton of inflammation; their their labs are off, but you can tell that there's like some orthorexia happening with the foods. How do you approach that?
1: Well, it's meeting a person where they're at. I think it's something that i don't take lightly we typically are then at that point collaborating with an eating disorder specialist in conjunction with what we're doing and then we talk to the eating disorder specialist throughout this these these coming months these subsequent months together so we have separate consults with the eating disorder specialist that we are looped in on how their visits are going on with the mutual client so that's typically what it is it's a collaborative uh working on these are certain concessions that we are making and saying, look, this is maybe not the most idyllic shift from a d- nutritional standpoint, but it's the most pragmatic for this person's headspace. So we are, we are it's, a, it's a balancing act of looking at, okay, what do we need to achieve clinically? But also we have to make this, this there's a person behind these labs mm-hmm. and how do we like, be the most compromising we can be without... Uh, compromising their goals, so that's that's typically what it is. It's a collaborative effort where we are uh, really immersing ourselves in being a guidance and a support system, and giving it the due diligence and thoughtfulness that it deserves. Because I think a lot of times these things can be set off with good intentions, like do this, this, and this, X, Y, and Z, whatever X, Y, and Z is, and then the per- person's left to fend for themselves to go, sort of navigate all of these variables. So I think that the way that we Navigate care for people. We're considered a concierge functional medicine practice, but we're so we're talking to all the all the patients in between visits, and we're really immersed on their day to day basis. And then again, if they have an eating disorder specialist too, that kind of we are talking to them too because that they're a major part of their healing journey if they're struggling with disordered eating, whether that be orthorexia or another eating disorder. Hmm.
0: Do you find that sometimes sometimes certain eating disorders come from the physical health issues. Mm-hmm. Like if a food is making someone sick and inflamed, I think sometimes that makes them afraid of it.
1: Oh, uh, You're so right. I mean, this is something that I think people outside of the autoimmune space don't talk about. They don't even get, because yeah. they think the eating disorder precedes the health issues. Yeah. And that is normal in the, eating disorder world. But I think the phenomenon that we're seeing in the autoimmune space is a different beast. It really is different because I think these people really, for the most part, there's exceptions to what I'm about to say, because you talk to somebody and get their health history and realize, okay, this, there are exceptions to what I'm saying right now. But for the most part, it is someone with no history of disordered eating at all. And then they go through this triggered autoimmune problem. And then they get to the point where their real physiological flares Uh, They don't want to ever feel that again, obviously, Mm -hmm. and then they become fearful of like basically the food is their enemy and everything's causing them problems. And then they, they out of this flared disillusionment, whittle their choices of safe foods, quote unquote, to three or four things. Mm -hmm. And it's not because they chose to get there or because they were initially, they had any problems with food. Because they are seeing their body reject a lot of foods, and even if those foods aren't directly flaring up, it, things are so muddled and foggy they don't even know what's up and what's down. So I think the trauma that they go through during these autoimmune flares, where food is a part of that, that is what triggers this eating disorder spectrum. You know, it's it maybe not an egregious, obvious eating disorder, but it's some sort of disordered eating born out of their real physical flares.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a very tricky subject. And when, so, I mean, my personal experience, like five years ago, I had a really bad malabsorption parasites and I lost so much weight. And like my doctors just said, we need to send you to a treatment facility because you have anorexia, but I was eating a ton of food. And so it's like, sometimes you, you, you look like you have an eating disorder, and then they label you as that, and then it just becomes more complicated. So then it took me an extra like two years to get the gut help I
1: needed. Right. Yeah, you're totally <laughs> right. You're going down that road, and they don't, I think, as time goes on, they're going to see more and more people like you and they'll understand it better. But I think the rise of different autoimmune inflammation spectrum issues are still new for a lot of people, and they're easily put into boxes. You know, you're just depressed, or you just have anxiety. So here's Mm -hmm. the antidepressant or the anxiety medication. You just have an eating disorder. Well, okay, who wouldn't have depression and anxiety when they have these these problems? And then who wouldn't have some sort of struggle with food when they have these problems too? So all of those things are effects of what's actually going on with the autoimmunity.
0: Yeah. So let's talk more about inflammation and like what is inflammation? Let's start there for people who are like, what does this even mean?
1: Yeah. Right. So inflammation is a manifestation or a product of our immune system. So it's, it's a, yes, it is a ambiguous nebulous term for many people. Like what the heck is it? It made they think of like joint pain or migraines or swollen joints, like at a sporting injury. Yes. Those are all inflammatory problems. Those are all considered acute inflammation. Uh, when we're throwing the word in the health world, inflammation around. Typically, what we mean is chronic inflammation. It is not the same as acute inflammation. Again, not inherent. there's nothing inherently wrong with inflammation. It fights viruses and bacteria. It heals wounds. It's a really important part of human physiology. The problem is like anything else in the body. It's subject to the Goldilocks principle. You don't want inflammation too high. You don't want it too low, but you want it just right when you need it. So, Many people have chronic inflammation. That's when inflammation is thrown out of balance. And chronic inflammation is associated with just about every health problem under the sun, um, from heart disease to cancer, diabetes, all chronic inflammatory problems, just about every autoimmune condition, chronic inflammatory. And then even the mental health space, what researchers are kind of really looking at this as of late, the last 10 years or so, looking at what's called the cytokine model of cognitive function. It's basically cytokines or pro-inflammatory cells. And it's looking at how inflammation impacts brain health or how inflammation impacts mental health. And in the West, we like to separate mental health from physical health. But in truth, mental health is physical health. Our brain is part of our body. And we need to understand the organ of which we're addressing when it comes to mental health. And researchers are pointing to these inflammatory cascades as being at least a component to many people's mental health, if not the entirety of it. So these are all the things that inflammation can do. And all of these problems are certainly different and far-reaching and unique, these manifestations of inflammation. But the underlying root commonality is this chronic inflammatory cascade. So the conversation that I'm having in the inflammation spectrum in the book is educating people On this fact that all of these problems are inflammatory and that how these all exist on a spectrum from mild symptoms like mild fatigue, maybe some background anxiety, maybe some bloating, digestive symptoms on one end of the inflammation spectrum all the way to the other end, whether, you know, you'll have metabolic issues or diabetes or autoimmune conditions or mental health issues on the other end of that continuum and then everything in between. So it's educating people on that. Because by the time somebody is diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, like if they're diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease or uh, lupus or Sjogren's or all sort of colitis or whatever we're talking about, research estimates that those things started brewing four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis. So when someone's labeled with an autoimmune disease, it didn't happen the day before. It was actually four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis when things were brewing on the inflammation spectrum. So, this is not to scare people. This is just educating people because we have to know what we're up against to do something about it. And I think that many people aren't even conscious of the way that these things work. So, no matter where you're at on the inflammation spectrum, and this is where most of my patients are at, I wanted to say, okay, whether you're diagnosable or you're not diagnosable, and thank God you're not, but you still don't feel well and you still are told, like, things like, oh, it looks autoimmune, or you have a positive ANA, you have a family history of autoimmune conditions, but you don't fit all their boxes to be labeled with whatever they want to label you with. Well, no matter where you're at on this inflammation spectrum, what can you do today to start taking over your health and start feeling great again uh, and improving your health as much as you can in the positive direction? So that's really what inflammation is. And while again, the, the the numbers are growing by leaps and bounds. The other side of that coin is that we understand this stuff a lot more than we did 10 years ago. And we ha- we have so many tools that we can implement in people's lives to start feeling good again. So that's what I really wanted to have a conversation about in, in the book.
0: Yeah. And it's such important education because I think it's just really hard to motivate people when it's like, you need to do this now to prevent this from happening in 10 years. You know, it's hard for yeah. people when it's it's preventative, but I think the more we build awareness that, hey, these autoimmune diseases, like cancers, neurodegenerative diseases, it's not just chance. <laughs> you know, there are things we can do now to support our bodies for mm-hmm. later on down the line. Um, and I, I think what's interesting is, so when people think of inflammation, I think, you know, joint pain, maybe acne, um, maybe mood. But what, what are some lesser known symptoms of inflammation that might surprise people?
1: To me, I think the most common things that I see, and it may not be like the main impetus for them to set up a consultation with me, mm-hmm. but it's on the list. And I, I have to say, like, what are the things that I see the most on people's application and they may mention it in passing, but it it's really has to do with the brain and the gut. I would say that those the two areas, and that's not a coincidence. I mean, 75% of the immune system is in the gut. Um, and when you're dealing with autoimmune issues, you have to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides, which is in the gastrointestinal system. So it's no coincidence. But so I would say some level of digestive problems, whether that's mild bloating and bowel infrequency, it doesn't have to be extreme IBS, you know, extreme looser stools or extreme constipation, even though it oftentimes is. Sometimes it can just be, okay, I have looser stools every day of my life, or I don't go every day. I could go every other day or every two days. And then you ask them on the surface, do you have constipation or diarrhea? And they'll say no. But then you say, okay, what's your stool look like? How often are you going? And then they'll say, okay, I'm going five times a day. It's really loose. Mm. And then they never even equated it with diarrhea or, and saying, okay, that's a sign. These are the check engine lights that something's going off or I'm going every two days, but I'm not constipated. Uh, I, I, I can go two or three days, with that, but I'm not constipated. Well, okay, that's, that's a sign. That's a check engine light. That's not normal. Um, so we look at the gut and then look at the brain. The top things that I see would be uh, anxiousness, like an inexplicable anxiety. They, they don't, they have a background anxiety. They don't know why, but they just always feel like that, or they oftentimes feel like that. And a lack of like a dullness or a lack of zest for life is a way that some people explain it. They just don't have the motivation to do the things they want to do, or they're depressed, depressed, overtly depressed. So all of these exist on a spectrum from mild things to more extreme things. And then fatigue, very, very common, where it's like mild fatigue. Or it's extreme chronic fatigue. Uh, And I would say those are the most common things that I see. Uh, And then you could look at the hair and the nails and the skin and that kind of stuff too. That could be also signs. But I would say the gut and the brain. And again, another connection there is your gut and brain are formed from the same fetal tissue. So when babies are growing in their mom's womb, the gut and brain are growing together and formed together from the same tissue. And they're inextricably linked for the rest of all of our lives through what's known in the scientific literature as the gut-brain axis. And I know that you know this, but the gut is, you know, is referred to as the second brain in the scientific literature. 95% of serotonin is made in the gut, stored in the gut. And if you think about it, the gut, the intestines even resemble the brain. So there's such a strong connection between the gut and the brain, that bidirectional relationship between the two, Mm -hmm. that is such also well-associated in the literature to autoimmune issues. And it makes complete sense to me why I would see these gut brain symptoms the most probably uh, out of anyone on this inflammation spectrum.
0: Yeah, definitely. And also because everything you're mentioning, we have such a skewed, well, we as in, okay, let me restate that. Standard America has a skewed perception <laughs> of what's normal, right? Yeah. Like they think that that's normal. So that's why they don't recognize that as, sympt- as symptoms. Oh, totally. Like, People think being constipated is normal or just being tired all the time, they live off their coffee and so they'll tell you they feel great and then it's not until you get some some quantified information you find out it's not.
1: <laughs> no, something that I say a lot is very true. It's that just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. and these problems, look, look at the statistics of fatigue and anxiety and depression. It is ubiquitous. It's very easy to find someone that feels the same or worse than you. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's normal. Uh, these are things that are overcomable and improvable and reversible in most cases. So uh, don't compare yourself to other people because that's not a good metric for you in feeling great. Mm-hmm. So, I, th- as, And this is sadly even gonna be more relevant to remember as the years go on because it's looking like these things are continuing to grow. And as we understand how different health problems operate, I think we're going to find autoimmune components for a lot of different things. We didn't know how to autoimmune components to them. And again, ubiquity doesn't necessarily equate with normalcy. Definitely applies here. Don't settle for it. Ask questions, be curious, get answers, be an advocate for yourself uh, and, and find someone that understands what you're going through.
0: Yes. Well, something, so I took your inflammation quiz. Anyone who's listening should take the inflammation quiz on your website. It's very helpful. Thanks. But, and one thing that I was interested in, was one of the questions was about appetite. So is having like a low appetite or really high appetite a sign of inflammation?
1: Yeah, it can be, uh, it depends on how extreme it is. I think that you are talking there about hormonal signaling, receptor site signaling with like ghrelin or leptin and insulin and blood sugar fluctuations uh, and the gut-brain axis too so yeah it's it, the hangriness sort of the hungry and angry is evil spawn like that sort of uh, insatiable cravings can be a sign of definitely inflammation but then somebody that's not hungry at all that's not getting the signaling either and they don't have any communication that way that both extremes are problematic uh, but look there are, going back to my earlier statement context matters because sometimes people are eating very nutrient dense foods and they're eating pretty regularly, they're not gonna be really hungry either. So mm-hmm. it's important to follow up with that question. Okay, well, what's this look like? What are you, what's, the, what's the rest of the story? But all of these, like you mentioned, the quiz online, and that's the, also the quiz in the book, uh, but we have it free on the website. So people can find out generally where they're at on the inflammation spectrum. And those questions are just questions that I adapted from questions I asked patients. So that's really what it is. And I just organized them in a way that kind of took the reader or the person on the website to go through this, these seven main sections on the inflammation spectrum. So we're talking about the gut and the brain and the hormones and the blood sugar regulatory system and the detoxification system and the musculoskeletal system and looking at autoimmunity and looking at what we call poly inflammation or the interconnectedness of the seven sections. So that's really what it is. But you know, with, with a quiz, there's obviously limitations because you're not there to like be there with that person and saying, mm-hmm. and that's where a consultation comes in or follow-ups. But the quiz is at least a pointer for the person to do for themselves to find out more or less where are they at on the inflammation spectrum? And then what areas are the most problematic for them? Because you like, you know this because you took the quiz, but basically maybe somebody will score higher in the brain section. Maybe the other person will score higher in the hormone section or the muscles and joint section. And it depends on the person so they can kind of learn about their health. Cause many people are so divorced from even being in tune with their body. They don't even know, like you said, they just settle for it and they go about their life. not even really realizing, "Whoa, that's my every day, but that's not normal. Well, I didn't know that. And then they can start making changes in their life to feel better.
0: Today's podcast episode is brought to you by one of my favorite companies in the world when it comes to healthy eating and living. That is Wild Foods. If you follow me on Instagram, you have seen me showing these products for years. But if you're not familiar with Wild Foods, Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have everything from coffee to tea to fish oil, and every single product is sourced from small farms around the globe. They have a huge emphasis on quality. And it's really their mission to fix the broken food system. And they truly believe real food is medicine, which is exactly what this show is all about. One of their top selling products is their wild fish oil. And this is one of the most important products to be wary of out there on the market because most fish oils are rancid and low quality. And you do not want to be putting low quality fats into your body. And I love wild foods fish oil because it is certified by Friends of the Sea. It is sustainably sourced, which means the fish population never drops during harvesting. The fish goes directly from the boats to processing. So there's no middleman. So they're extremely fresh and it doesn't taste fishy at all. There isn't any burping like you might have with other fish oils. And there's a liquid version that has a slight lemon flavor. Or you can take the capsules, which go down really easily. This is an excellent way to get your omega-3s in which is so important for those anti-inflammatory benefits. And most people do not get enough fish in. This is one of the most common supplements I recommend. I just love the heart and passion behind this brand. I have gotten to know the people behind this company. Personally, I hung out with them when I was in Austin, Texas last year. We recorded a podcast for their podcast, the Living Wild podcast and Colin Stuckert, Jamie Stuckert. They are truly incredible humans who just want to help other people heal through real food nutrition. And you know, that's what I am all about. That is why I spread my story and my message as well. So, you know, I have a discount code because I can't not get a discount code for a brand's products that I use every single day. And you need to try these out. So head on over to wildfoods.co, that's .co, not .com, and enter the code CRW for 12% off your order. That will get you 12% off and let the Wild Foods team know you guys are listening. Which I know they appreciate and I appreciate. Again, that's wildfoods.co, W I L D F O O D S dot C O, and use the code C R W for 12% off. And when you get your order in the mail, make sure you tag me and Wildfoods Co so that we can see what you got. Let's say someone takes the quiz and they realize, oh, I'm kind of high on the spectrum. Oh. So so they, they know this now. So, like, what do you do from there? You know you're inflamed.
1: Now what? So at that point, it depends on what they want. I mean, I, from, from the book, way that I do it in the book, and I guess we can just talk about that. So the way that I recommend it in the book is they take the quiz, they find out where they're at in the inflammation spectrum, and if people scored low on the inflammation spectrum quiz, they're going to get one plan, and if they scored higher on the inflammation spectrum quiz, they're going to get another plan. So the reason why that I wanted to do that is because, again, born out of me consulting patients, I'm, my job is to like really find out what works for that person, look at the labs, look at the variables and like really make this tailored to them. I can't do that with the book. So I wanted, I spent a long time in this book to make it as personalized as a book can be. Uh, And really through the methodologies of what i see with patients, I wanted to take myself out of the equation and how could I lead the reader to figure these things out on their own or give them the answers as they're reading it through to almost choose their own health path in that way. So based on the quiz score, they're gonna get their own food plan. And then based on their specific areas of focus, let's say they score higher in hormones or gut or brain, they're gonna have a specific toolbox based off of that quiz score too to further personalize their recommendations in the book. They'll have like the people that scored lower have what's called the core four plan. That's removing four potentially inflammatory foods for four weeks and then slowly reintroducing them. And then the eliminate plan is eight foods for eight weeks until we slowly reintroduce each one of them to find out what your body loves and hates. So these are this is a tailored, well formulated elimination diet approach, which is still the gold standard in clinical nutrition, in functional medicine, in really any food space. Um, so that's why that's done. But we also talk about the non-food things too, because anybody in the in the that knows what's up in the autoimmune world then no it's not just about food and we have to look about look at stress we have to look at sleep we have to look at past traumas we have to look at toxicity we have to look at chronic infections we have to look at screen time social media addiction all this stuff too not to overwhelm you but just say okay these are things like what are the areas you need to be focusing on and the analogy that i talk a lot about is like the bucket analogy we the bucket is our genetic tolerance to stressors. Some people have big buckets. Some people have small buckets. A lot of people that score higher on the quiz, a lot of people that I see I'm consulting online have smaller buckets. They're just born with smaller buckets. They have a genetic predisposition for autoimmunity. They have a family history. They were dealt a bad cards early on in life where the microbiome is wrecked or whatever reason. And they're, they're at where they're at today. So you can't change that bucket size, but you can change what you put in the bucket. And that's all these stressors, these epigenetic modulators that can fill up and cause the bucket to overflow. Uh, so the foods we're eating our stress, toxins, sleep, all this stuff are what can overflow the bucket. So we're working on over this time that I have with the reader to start emptying the bucket, to create stillness, to calm the inflammation, to get a centeredness, to know what your body loves and what your body doesn't love. when you know what your body loves when it comes to food or a wellness practice, and you know what your body doesn't love when it comes to food or a wellness practice, that gives you a food piece and a life piece to really have discernment and clarity on what's working for you and what's not. So at that point, you've then transitioned and had a catalyst from a diet or a program that you read about in a book to, I love feeling better more than I miss that food. I feel so freaking fantastic that. It's not punitive or dogmatic or orthorexic to avoid these foods that cause me flare-ups or to take me away from my goals. So that's really the conversation that I'm having throughout the book to really make it contextual to you owning your life and having a manual for what works for you in your life.
0: Yeah. So nutritionally, so besides taking out inflammatory, like main inflammatory foods, do you give recommendations in terms of macronutrients like do you recommend people go more ketogenic to reduce inflammation or is it just about reducing those inflammatory foods
1: i am not talking about macronutrients in the inflammation spectrum i talk about in ketotarian at length and i reference ketotarian in the inflammation spectrum for people who want to lean into that a bit more Mm -hmm. i do talk about time-restricted feeding and intermittent fasting as a way to lower inflammation and improve autophagy and you know cellular repair mechanisms i do talk about that in the inflammation spectrum but i wanted to keep it as simple as possible in the inflammation spectrum because i wanted to make it as open open open-ended you know as as uh undogmatic as we could be and then at that point after like if someone like is really into the biohacking and they're really kind of more advanced they can dig into that like get ketotarian and kind of use that uh, overlap that with the inflammation spectrum they could totally do that um, but I wanted to focus on the more of the larger areas uh, at the starting point of these sort of food experiment that I wanted people to do and here's another reason why that wouldn't have been appropriate you don't want too many variables because you know you want to make it as n equals one as you can mm-hmm. obviously you can't control everything not a placebo-controlled trial, but you are taking the most uh, foundational things to make changes. I would start there, and then at that point, let's say you've got 60% better or 70% better, but you're not entirely better. At that point, I would lean into more of the macronutrient uh, tweaking and optimization after that point. So that way, you know, okay, look, I did the food changes. That got me here, but I'm not entirely better. they let me lean in a little bit more with a more of a ketogenic approach. And, you know, and I'm not saying that everybody has to do that either, but to your point, a ketogenic diet has been shown to really help to lower inflammation levels as well. So that whether that's lowering the, like the NLRP3 inflammasome or improving like the COX-2 pathways, there's a lot of beneficial anti-inflammatory benefits of a ketogenic diet. And by, def- by default, somebody like yourself that's carnivore, carnivore adjacent, they're going to be in ketosis there too, even if they're not moderating their protein intake. Uh, just from the carb restriction alone, they're going to be in various forms of ketosis. That, again, that's not what I'm talking about in the inflammation spectrum, but sometimes you dig into these sort of more specific things, dietary intervention-wise, where the goal isn't necessarily ketosis, but because of the way that you're doing an elimination diet approach, you end up being in ketosis anyways.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then it's hard to differentiate what's really right. What's really the answer. Well, so I think most of the people who are listening to this show already eat a whole foods-based, like gluten-free, dairy-free diet. And I'm curious if there are any foods that you find that most people consider to be healthy that, which may or may not be in the book, but for that kind of audience that you find also can cause inflammation for some people.
1: Yeah, and I would say... That's most of my patients, almost 100% of them. They eat very clean. They know a lot. They're super like, well-read, erudite about this stuff, but they mm-hmm. are still not feeling well. I mean, they're better off than they would be if they weren't doing their, all of the good things, but they're stuck at a plateau, there's some missing pieces, and they're looking for a functional medicine perspective to see what's missing from that puzzle. So some foods that I would say could be problematic for some people, uh, and that's really in the eliminate section of the book. The core four, most of your listeners are already past that point. That's the people that scored lower on the quiz. That's grains, added sugar, high omega-6 oils, like vegetable canola oil, uh, and dairy, uh, mainly conventional dairy. But we talk about beta-A1, beta E beta 2 We talk about goat milk. We have a nuanced conversation in the book, but let's just say dairy for now. So that's the core four. Most of your listeners already have cleaned their diet from that then the other variables would be the eliminate track. So that's the people that scored higher on that quiz. So that's the core four plus four or more. So that adds in eggs, nut, uh, nuts and seeds, legumes, like beans and you know, mm-hmm. lentils and things like that, and nightshades, peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, white potatoes, goji berries, uh, eggplants, if I didn't say that. So that is, uh, those are all plant groups. All of those, the eliminate, like the four or more in eliminate, all of those are whole foods. Mm-hmm. There's nothing innately wrong with them, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with them. But we all know bioindividuality is a real deal in this very this space of what we're talking about that there are going to be some people that have problems with some of those foods, but mm-hmm. some people are going to do fine with all those foods. So I really want the person in the book to experiment these, um, removing these foods for a while before you reintroduce them. So the albumin and the egg white or the lectins and phytic acid and the legumes and the nuts and seeds or the alkaloids and the nitrates could be problematic for some people but then maybe it's not going to be permanently problematic maybe it's just a matter of calming things down getting the gut integrity improved to a certain degree so they can reintroduce them and they won't have long-term problems with it but for the time being in the throes of a flare they should remove those for a time so these are the um the questions that i'm bringing up because Again, I don't have any problem with having, like I love ketchup. <laughs> I, love, I love a good old uh, you know salsa. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a problem with it, but some people are gonna get flares from a nightshade party. And I, want to, I wanna educate people and illuminate. That could be problematic. And we talk about the different endocannabinoid gene variants and the methylation gene variants in the book that predispose some people to these food sensitivities and reactivities. Not everybody's gonna have a problem with that stuff. So you want to look at genetics, you want to look at epigenetics, you want to look at gut health, you want to look at all these variables that give rise to someone's current state of their relationship with the foods that they're eating.
0: Yeah. I'm curious if in your practice, you notice any correlation between increased insoluble fiber intake and inflammation?
1: Uh, No, not specifically. I mean, people that have dysbiosis, people that have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, they get definitely be more sensitive to uh, fiber um, because of the over fermentation of the fiber and it's mm-hmm. causing and contributing to their, their flares. But that's not everybody. But yeah, sometimes we have to definitely cut down on the soluble fiber and even the insoluble fiber for a time being. Um, yeah, that's definitely a problem for some people, but not everybody.
0: I was just asking because it's been interesting. I've been doing my own little like survey of my clients, and a lot of them are telling me that they notice if they increase their soluble fiber but decrease insoluble fiber, they have less inflammation, Mm. which is super interesting to me because it was like so, it wasn't just like random, Mm. it was like a big portion of them were telling me this. Um, yeah. So I was just curious if you had seen that, but I don't know, maybe someone will do a study on it someday. (laughs) Yeah,
1: It sounds like a study to me. I'm up Um, for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about like things to add in? Like, are there any foods or supplements that really help with inflammation that people can add into their lives?
1: Obviously people know about curcuminoids. I think there's a lot of exciting studies around curcuminoids and uh, turmeric and cooking with it or getting standardized amounts of that. Um, I am a fan of CBD mm-hmm. uh, starting off low and slow and working your way up and finding a good therapeutic threshold for CBD. Uh, I'm a huge fan of broths and soups and having things cooked very soft for people that are dealing with these more higher inflammatory problems. So good whether that's bone broth, chicken bone broth, or even like a non-collagen uh, alternate plant-based approach, like galangal broth, like a ginger-based-ish broth that can be quite soothing to the gut and anti-inflammatory. Um, so those are all, and then uh, again, not to feed into the eating disorder component of this, but I truly mean this in a, just a true contextual place. It's times of fasting. I'm not starving yourself for the sake of it, but allowing your body breaks from eating to just have that be therapeutic in calming down inflammation, and then of course refeeding is important. So come bring bring in those soups and stews back in after you've given your body a bit of a break. But I think sometimes when you're in the throes of a flare, sometimes little bits of fasting can be quite therapeutic to calm things down. And then I, I am fascinated too, and we've been implementing protocols over the past ten years or so with helminthic therapy, which Helminth is a Greek word for worms. It sounds so much more you know, uh, nice sounding when you don't say worm <laughs> therapy, but it's helminthic therapy. Basically, they're non-human protozoans that don't live to maturity in humans, um, but they grow to like teenager worms in, in the microbiome. So they don't live for long, but they live long enough to down-regulate inflammation, to support T-regulatory cells, to drive that inflammation levels down and in improve immune tolerance and recognition of the self. So the immune system's stopping or attacking the body and it's recognizing, oh, whoa, that's not a foreign invader. That's my thyroid or that's my myelin sheath or that's my GI tract and I don't have to overreact against it. And you build a tolerance and increase T regulatory cells. At least that's the proposed mechanism in in the literature uh, over time and they can decrease the severity and the frequency other symptoms so in addition to all the food stuff and the non-food stuff like the lifestyle stuff these more advanced protocols like helmet therapy we've seen good success with when it's appropriate of course
0: wait i've never i've never heard of this how do they like swallow the worms or how do you
1: yeah get them? so it's less like gross than it sounds like it <laughs> sounds really freaky and but it's really not so basically the, the microscopic they're like basically little eggs in, in, in like a liquid base, whether you can put it in like a chaser of almond milk or water or, and it's safe from a lab. It's from a medical facility. It's very, uh, reputable. It is done with a doctor's supervision. You are vetted health history. It's all like thorough and, and legitimate. Um, but, uh, once you receive it, then you, you swallow it and then they can live for a couple of weeks. But because they can only live for a couple of weeks, you don't feel anything. They don't grow to maturity, not getting any hookworms or any strange things, tapeworms. They will die in humans because they can't live long-term. So you have to have, take them every couple of weeks. And again, under the supervision of a doctor, they will figure out the frequency of the helmet therapy. But yes, it's, a, it's another way for somebody, again, this is not like the first step. You know, this isn't yeah. like don't, don't eat nightshades, swallow worms. This is yeah. <laughs> like a little bit more advanced down the line, but it is for some people that have exhausted all options, they can lean into these other tools to have more tools in their toolbox. Let we look at, you know, cryotherapy and sauna therapy and fecal transplants and all of these things that, that need to be brought in uh, for some people.
0: Yeah. What are your thoughts on fecal transplants?
1: I think it's promising for people. Um, we've had good success over the years for people that have gone in for different things. In the United States, it's only approved for a C. diff, the seal um, infections, but more and more facilities are experimenting with it. And there's definitely, we have patients in other countries, in Canada and Europe, where we're giving, you know, we're guiding them from remotely via webcam, just like our. United States patients where they will have a little bit more access to certain things, um, where people can do that. And of course, you know, in the United States at this point, it's still legal for self-administration as well, where people look at videos on YouTube and they're testing their donor and they're experimenting with that. I'm not necessarily in alignment with that. I think that some bad things can happen. You definitely want to make sure that you're doing it the proper way, but I have seen people have good success with it it's just a matter of how do we standardize it how do we make this accessible and legitimate instead of this very many people are forced to sort of do these these treatments on their own because they're not getting the access that they're looking for otherwise so i can at least give a functional medicine perspective on this show them the research and educate them on their options
0: yeah, I think like something like that, it's so promising for so many people, but there are also so many potential downsides, I think. like Yeah, it I is. I mean, yeah. I'm
1: actually more of a fan of the helminthic therapy because of that. It's mm-hmm. a little, it's, well, in my opinion, more safe, a lot more safe than a fecal transplant mm-hmm. um, because you're not taking somebody that's immunosuppressed and putting in a completely new microbiome in it. It's a lot more gentle. You're working with your own microbiome and you're just improving bacterial, you're improving microbiome diversity and improving to regulatory cells in a lot more of a gentle way with helmetic therapy versus FMT.
0: Okay. The other thing I do want to talk about was exercise and like the connection between exercise and inflammation.
1: Yeah. The theory of exercise is of course, to break down muscle, to build it back up. And there's hormesis, there's that micro stress that is going to be inflammatory. Um, And that's not inherently a bad thing that's how you get muscle growth and and the benefits of exercise largely is centered around that stress but the problem is when somebody's already stressed out and they have they're in this sort of sympathetic fight-or-flight state most of their life it can be too much stress it could be overstressing an already stressed out system so too much exercise for somebody in the throes of inflammatory flare may not be a good idea That's not to say they shouldn't move at all. They just need to tone it back. Like, be gentle. Do acts like do water aerobics or do like Tai Chi or do like gentle restorative yoga or walking, uh, going out in nature, like gentle things. Some people don't have the, the physical resilience to handle the stress of exercise. So as long as you're starting out where you're at, like find that groove, find that sweet spot where you actually feel invigorated and you see benefits from. I hear so many times over the years, I oh, I pay for it, quote unquote, when I do this workout. Well, don't do that. Like don't pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> like you're doing too much. Like you should of course there's soreness and, and stuff after working out. That's not what these people are talking about. They're like legitimately bedridden after they work out. That's not good. Uh that's too much for their body.
0: Yeah, and I think this is just another example of kind of like the dark side of too much health information because so many people overdo it with exercise because they're reading like do more lift heavier weights and do more hit and they just add it all on top of each other and then they get really inflamed from it and put on weight.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I totally I hear you and it's it's a matter of just finding that grace and lightness to wellness and not like just take in what you can take in and like drop the rest if it's not serving you, just drop it. It's not worth holding on to it.
0: So, my last question is, do you see emotional inflammation causing physical inflammation?
1: Uh, Very much so. Yeah. I mean, the bi-directional relationship between our thoughts and emotions and our physiology is something that I talk about in the inflammation spectrum. I see on an almost hourly basis consulting patients online. It's, you know, our physiology impacts our thoughts and emotions, meaning our, you know, inflammation levels or the gut-brain axis or uh, hormonal imbalances, whatever we're talking about there, impacts someone's thoughts and emotions. uh, So they can feel more anxious or more depressed or more fatigued or all of these sort of symptoms. But then the other side of it is that trauma or their stressful life or like the thoughts and emotions impacts our physiology and it can impact your inflammation levels, impact your gut brain access, impact all of this stuff. So we have to look at this bi-directional relationship between mind and body. Uh, and really it's one and the same, but it's, it's I should say more appropriately, the, the, the relationship between our thoughts and emotions and our physiology.
0: I think it's the hardest one for people to get so hard.
1: Yeah. I cannot, you know, it's not something that's solved overnight. It's something that's really dealt with on a professional level for some people, certainly on a personal level for everybody. Um, and it's, yeah, I just, if anything, I'm just raising awareness around it, but by no means do I, it's not something that's going to be solved overnight.
0: Is there something that you would recommend someone do if they feel like I have a lot of emotional inflammation?
1: Um, I would say go look into getting a, a therapist that's trained mm-hmm. in this, getting to a counselor, look at in modalities like EMDR, look into, uh, like, um, the DNRS. Mm hmm. Uh, product like there's a lot of resources online that are looking at this sort of interconnectedness between uh, trauma, the headspace and the impact that's having on our health and vice versa.
0: Yeah. I'm really glad that there's so much more awareness about that and um, really appreciative of you and all of your work that you're doing to raise awareness about you know, the deeper causes of inflammation and how people can heal from that. And I really appreciate your time. And I'm sure everyone's going to want to check out your book and learn more from you. So can you just remind my listeners where they can get more from you?
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. Everything's at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E dot com. Yeah, they can get links to the book. We offer a free webcam or phone health evaluation if people want a functional medicine perspective on their specific case um but yeah everything's everything's on the site and i'm on instagram as well at dr will cole people can connect with me there too
0: all right great thank you again so much dr cole i really appreciated this conversation
1: thank you so much
0: thank you so much to dr cole for coming on the podcast if you want more from him you can go to drwillcole.com and also find him on Instagram at DrWillCole. Cole. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, I appreciate it so much when you take a screenshot and tag the guests. So tag Dr. Will Cole, tag me, Christina Rice Wellness, and tag podcast, Wellness Wellness Podcast. That way I can say thank you and it helps spread the word about the show. And if you want exclusive behind-the-scenes content related to my life and this podcast, then make sure you follow the private Instagram account, Wellness Realness Crew. All you have to do to get access to that account is request, but also send in the DMs, DM a screenshot of your iTunes rating and review to that account, Wellness Realness Crew. When I get the DM of that iTunes review screenshot, Then you will get access and get all of the juicy behind-the-scenes content. You can also connect further with other listeners in our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. And don't forget to head to my website, ChristinaRiceWellness.com. If you want all things health and wellness, I have hundreds of blog posts, hundreds of podcasts, a bunch of free guides to help you reach your health and wellness goals and business goals. And you can learn more about my exclusive membership, up level which is the most epic wellness membership around. That's going to be it for today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and I will chat with you again next time. Bye.